All right, a few quick updates. The biggest thing that we've got going on right now, and the most thing I'm most excited about, is a continued relationship with our friends on the South Side of Chicago at the organization Lost Boys. We are doing tutoring uh, throughout the course of the week, and on the weekends, we're doing some mentorship. It's been a really fun thing to be a part of. Quick shout out to Levante, Pekisha, and Coach Smith, and all the good people down at Lost Boys. It's been fantastic working with them and excited to continue that relationship. On February 21st, we have a fundraiser. We're going to be at Valley Lodge in Wilmette. Fairly basic. Come learn more about the project. We mentioned it in previous podcasts, but you'll have the opportunity for the first time to get your name on the scholarships that we provide for people. So hypothetically, one example of it would be, we've got friends down uh, in Haiti. Uh, My friend Dave runs an organization, Basketball to Uplift the Youth of Haiti. If you want to be part of our relationship with the athletes in Haiti, show up. There's an opportunity to put your name on the scholarships we give out to members of that organization who have demonstrated both competitive excellence and really sincere commitment to academics. That's one of the many cool opportunities we are going to have available uh, the night of, in addition to the fact that, that Valley Lodge is a cool place. They've got good food, good drinks, uh, and there will be a lot of us around, members of the project. You can pick our brains and, and talk shop. Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. We have an amazing podcast for you. Uh, it's with a good friend of ours, Charlie Tilson. So, quick disclaimer, we recorded this in a restaurant, so the sound quality reflects a conversation recorded in a restaurant, and as long as you're cool with that, you're going to get a lot out of today's episode. The reason we recorded in a restaurant was because our guy Charlie, who is a baseball player, plays center field for the White Sox, was with us at a holiday outing. It's an annual project the Nutrier Powerlifting Team engages in, so we're over at the Infant Welfare Society of Chicago. Charlie made an appearance, made the day of this young family, and afterwards we all went out to dinner. And in case you don't know who Charlie is, his bio looks like this. He played football and baseball in high school. I coached him in football and worked with him in the weight room. It is rare that we get an opportunity to sit down with someone in this sort of relationship. I cared about Charlie as an athlete. That was when I was at the very front end of my career as a coach. So he was one of the first athletes I ever worked with. And to see him come full circle from a really promising young athlete, uh, when I say promising, that's an understatement, in his senior year, he was Gatorade Player of the Year for the state of Illinois. So an elite young athlete to a fully-fledged professional that he is today, that on its own is really, really fun to watch. It's, it, you know, it inspires a sense of pride that I've felt only a few times before. But also, the, the man that Charlie has become is just inspiring. So he is a, an incredible human. I've known him since he was 15. He's now an adult, a pro, and someone who has a really interesting perspective on professional sports. And the timing couldn't be better. Spring training starts this week, so keep an eye out for Charlie, especially you Chicago White Sox fans, and enjoy the lessons he brings to the table in today's episode. I mean, pretty crazy moments. It was, well, first two days prior, uh, getting a phone call. You know, I was in a hotel uh, in Austin, Texas, getting ready to play a AAA game that night and got a phone call from a St. Louis number, finding out I was getting traded right at the deadline. And, uh, you know, 
he told me he appreciated my effort and all this thing. And the whole time I'm thinking, like, where am I going? Where am I going? And he said, we trade you the Chicago White Sox. And, like, I couldn't believe it. You know, right. Like, being a kid from Chicago, and I also happened to be a Sox fan growing up. Uh, highest of highs. And then two days later, getting to play my first big league game, Comerica Park. You know, Miguel Cabrera at first base, Annabelle Sanchez on the mound. Like, pretty huge moment. Uh, got a hit, you know, soaring at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, decided I was, you know, really going to get after a ball in the gap, try to make a nice play. And, uh, unfortunately... Um, before that happened, ended up pulling up short and, uh, you know, knew I was hurt bad at the time. Um, no idea the significance of, of that moment, though. You never pulled, this, this was like a fresh injury on a health muscle, right? Um, or had I had, you I had like, hamstring tweaks in the past that mm -hmm. put me out for a couple of weeks, so I knew, like, that that feeling. Uh, this was obviously much more extreme. Yeah. But I didn't really understand that you could have to have a surgically repaired hamstring. Like, really? When I realized it was my hamstring, I just kind of thought that all hamstring tears are within a realm of, you know, six months mm -hmm. to heal and, and surgery isn't necessary. So I was, even though I knew the injury was bad, I was feeling fairly good in that regard that I would be able to get back and get, get ready for next season with my new team, you know? And yeah. Everything was still pretty exciting. You're right. um, it sounds, it sounds like, it sounds like a fairly routine thing. Yeah, like, I mean, like it happens to people. It happens. It was at the tail end of the season, and I had been injured before. This was definitely the biggest one. Uh, but something that I think led up to it was, uh, I had a sports hernia two years prior um, that I kind of played through throughout the season. It's one of those injuries. It's like a groin pain but it doesn't prevent you from mm -hmm. going as hard as you can and it's not like a pulled muscle where you physically pull up you can right. kind of work through it but it had altered my gait so bad to the point where I had a stress fracture in my foot and so that was like right at the end of the season so I had that addressed and uh, got the groin tear taken care of and uh, that pretty much took up my whole offseason leading leading up into the 2015 season and you know there was probably some signs looking back leading up to my hamstring tearing that things were going awry I was having shin splints and I was starting to get the same lower leg pain that had led up to my fracture um, but you know obviously you can't anticipate these things and as athletes like especially in baseball you play so much that it just kind of becomes routine to tape it up you don't really think about the um, you know, ultimate course of putting a band-aid on a problem for a long period of time, so. Totally, and how old are you at this point? Uh, 23. So you're 23, like, part of what I think what makes you the athlete you are is like your ability and willingness to go, like you can push through stuff. Obviously, like mental resilience as it aligns with physical, like, like the overlap of mental and physical resilience is part of what make good makes good athletes good for the duration when you're early and like just then feeling this for the first time, like last time we talked, you mentioned like uh, when you first stepped onto even like a minor league stadium, like what, how kind of surreal it was. Most people are going off to college for the first time. Mm -hmm. You're in a minor league stadium. The, the idea to have like the ability, the forethought to project forward 10 years into a career and not just like be there in that moment. That is 
how, like how could you ever be expected to no, do that? No, you can't. You're, yeah. you're exactly right, too. And you talk about that first minor league game and what that moment was like. And then, you know, I think back that year previous to my big league debut, I was playing in Memphis and uh, I was having a good year, but physically I was grinding. You know, like I said, I had some yeah. lower body ailments, but uh, that being my first big league game, I was definitely. Um, riding one of those moments where you're kind of running on adrenaline and uh, pain isn't really a thing at that point. Mm -hmm. so <laughs> I wasn't aware of, of the state of my legs, I don't think, when I was going after the ball at 120%. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a learning experience. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it back. I think that, like, aggressiveness and willingness to try to, like, push the envelope mm -hmm. further than I can really handle is what's gotten me. To this point, it's definitely gotten me hurt, but it's made me understand what I'm capable of too. I think um, you got to find the rails if you want to ride them. But I'm serious. <laughs> like, you, you know what I mean? It's a yeah. weird thing about being an athlete. Like, you've got to, like, you don't want to operate at 65% of capacity all the time. Like, you have to test it every once in a while. Absolutely. And sometimes it gets you banged up, and I obviously wouldn't advise that yeah but but i but the hope is like touching a hot pan like you get there recognize the limitation pull back in your case maybe prepare slightly differently uh -huh. so that's and that's actually where this jumped off so like once it happened how did you start to approach like the system of you differently so, well once it happened i i really i didn't understand what i was uh dealing with you know i um didn't understand the significance of the injury and um, it wasn't until I met with the doctor and he was telling me I was going to come in and have surgery the next day that I realized that I really had a, a full plate in front of me. And, mm -hmm. and even then, I don't think that I began with the seriousness that was necessary to overcome a ruptured hamstring. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I was taking a very, you know, standard PT approach of uh, going to the appointments, you know, doing the work that, that they prescribe me. And, you know, they're obviously good at what they do, but mm -hmm. um, I think to try to recover and play at the level that I was going to attempt to play at and be a speed guy is right. my X factor. I mean, it. I really had to make it a lifestyle, mm -hmm. you know, and um, unfortunately it took me a... Uh, a little bit longer than I would have, have liked to. I mean, if I, I wanted to do that, but I don't think I had all the information yeah. that was going to allow me to, to fully take it on. And um, you know, I, if I could go back and do it again, I think I would have asked more questions about my injury and what, you know, what it was going to take to recover. And I, you know, I, I just kind of wanted to wish things away the way a lot of athletes do. You know, you get the PT done and you just have faith that your youth and your body is going to take care of the rest. And totally. Things, the stars will align, you know? Yeah, exactly right. Um, and, and why not? Because, like, again, I'll, I'll do, like, the boring filtering of this through, like, a psychological lens maybe, but, like, every bit of feedback in your life up to that point would suggest that, yeah, that's how it goes. You know what I mean? Like, like why would, like, youth and experience and, like, it kind of, it, it's going to work out for me sort of thing. Definitely. And that's kind of how it had gone up to that point. Like I said, I had injuries, but I always kind of took Come the back. approach of, yeah, doing what they told me to do. And, but as soon as I could get back to a normal routine of just getting in the gym and being a regular mm -hmm. athlete, I wanted to do it. I wanted to forget about the physical therapy and just right. move on. Um, 
And yeah, I, I definitely, uh, this was the first time that I was forced with, uh, you know, a situation where it seemed like uh, time alone was not going to fix the problem. Right. I had a serious strength de deficiency and I think because all the scarring that was going on post-surgery, I wasn't even really able to strengthen my hamstring because, you know, you find ways to compensate um, when you're in a lot of pain or the muscles had a lot of trauma, your body finds ways to, to compensate. So I was almost just fueling the same problem that yeah. I had, you know, began with that, that caused it. And, you know, what eventually happened, I ended up having two more stress fractures as I was trying to prepare to come back. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was kind of yeah. proof. Yeah, of, of how things were going, and okay, so so I'm sorry that sucks. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> no, it sucks. Necessary. Uh, and, and so it was a big wake up call, and then you changed your lifestyle significantly. Yeah. Enter so Julie Burns. Yeah, enter Julie Burns. Um, yeah. So I, uh, well, I should say Alex Cody. That's right. Mentored by Julie Burns. Alex Cody, mentored by Julie Burns at Sport Fuel Chicago. Yeah, so um, what had happened was I spent the off-season, like I said, doing the standard protocol, and as spring training approached, I had a stress fracture in my foot, put me out for all of spring training, and I was trying to win a starting big league job for the first time, so a little bit of a devastating moment, but, you know, kind of a reality check, because mm -hmm. my hamstring was in such bad shape, I was hardly moving well anyway, and I... I probably had no business on the field at the time looking back. Unfortunately, you know, the, the foot injury set me back and spent six weeks in a boot, you know, continuing to try to strengthen my legs and improve my gait pattern, doing what I can. And as soon as I got back on the field to play again, uh, come to find out my uh, fracture has, you know, happened again. And, mm -hmm. and I was going to be set back and back in a boot. And it was probably July at this point. They were sending me back to Chicago, and they just kind of wanted me to rest up. And, um, you know, one of those moments where you're kind of questioning what what is going to happen, you know. Mm -hmm. You think, like, uh, when you have the injury, that's the worst of it. And then you find out you have another setback, and you're like, oh, my God, it can't get worse than this. But All right, we're going to open this wide up. You ready? Yeah. Because this has become a huge topic of discussion. Um we were down at the Power Athlete Symposium in Austin, Texas, two weeks ago, talking to great people. Um, Ingrid Markham was one of them, Raph Ruiz was one of them, and there was a night that we kind of broke off onto this table um, just talking about sort of the silent psychology of elite athletes uh, going through not only tough times, but end of career times, things like that, essentially the stuff that doesn't get publicized but needs to be talked about. So. This is, this is like you. You got drafted out of high school. You, you went through, you, you skipped college, right? You are a, you are a baseball player. Yeah. And so much of like Charlie's wrapped up into that, even though like, like I, I know and plenty of people know that there's like so much more to you than that, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to recognize that in the moment when you're so single-minded, so like obsessively focused on being elite at that thing. Yeah, and you so, sacrifice so much time and so much of your life to and, it. And too. people, yeah. like relationships, it's hard. Being yeah. a, you've said like, give us a little insight in that. Like being a minor leaguer, sucks in a lot of ways great in a lot of ways but that's a grind yeah it was a grind i mean it was really uh 
the moment I found out I was having surgery and like I started to grasp that the recovery rate of the surgery wasn't great mm -hmm. and it was going to be a major challenge and I, I knew that if I didn't you know make a spring training recovery uh, someone was going to take my job and I was going to be lost in a mix of you know trying to reprove myself um, and it was going to be tough because if I didn't have my speed mm -hmm. which was my number one asset it would be a, it would be a tough uh, tough thing to do and, and so, like you said number one asset heart of gold number two asset speed <laughs> go ahead <laughs> It was hard times, man. It was really yeah. hard times. I think that initial blow was tough, but then, you, you know, you start to motivate. I knew I had time in front of me, but as spring training approached and I was running terribly and, and then I eventually had the fracture. Yeah, it was it felt cruel, man, like to, to be traded to, to the team you rooted for and to be ready to play in front of your family and friends every single night in the stadium you went to as a kid. Uh, for that to all be taken after one, not even a full game, you know, and then I didn't return to baseball till probably 16, 17 months after that. And it's hard to be, I mean, part of it too is, you know, you're around the team a lot still, spring training especially, and uh, it's a very insecure feeling for athletes not being able to play because they see the guys that they usually grind with and they know that they're hurting too and they're you know grinding it out and you want to be able to do that and you never want to be the guy explaining why you're not on the field and uh, that was that was one of the toughest things for me I think and then as I slowly started to face you know the potential of not playing again you know what they diagnosed my fracture as like a chronic fracture, yeah. which it may never heal. They were talking about me getting surgery. This was going to be, I had two surgeries on my hamstring at this point. Um, and I just like was, was not ready to go through yeah. that route again. Yeah. And enter Julie Burns, like you talked about. I, I reached out to an old contact and he said, the first thing I would do to heal is uh, call up Alex Cody, mentored by Julie Burns, and, and get on a anti-inflammatory, you know, healing protocol, um, and get away from you know things like commonly used in sports, like cortisone packs. Um, you know, it's been a tough year. I'd had a lot of injuries, and uh, I was ready to challenge myself to a new approach that I knew was going to uh, affect my lifestyle, um, but. You know, when your back's against the wall, you need to do everything it takes. And that yeah. was my goal at that point. Yeah. So what were the major adjustments you made under her advice? Um, well, the was first... Was food the biggest one? Yeah, but the first uh, the first month was pretty intense, and, and that was right when I was getting back in the boot, so it was good timing. But she wanted to make sure there wasn't anything I was consuming consistently that I was somewhat allergic to that mm -hmm. could be inhibiting my healing. So it was things like not drinking any caffeine, any coffee. I guess I could drink tea, so I would have some caffeine, yeah. but um, no coffee, no nuts. Um, pretty much just raw food. Like yeah. we joked last time we talked, it was like I was on my dog's diet. I yeah. was eating like beef and lettuce yeah. and sweet potatoes, and everything changed. Man, I lost 20 pounds. I had really bad headaches at first from like sugar withdrawals and wow. from the coffee. But I was, I mean, I was so ready to do it. I was in a boot, I was stuck at home. I didn't want to see anyone because every time I would see someone, I would be explaining myself. Mm -hmm. 
it just would kind of take me through the same cycle and it was making me kind of depressed to be yeah. honest you know well and just so you know like that's the word i was going for i didn't want to say it but like there's so much the funny thing about sports is that like there's incredible highs and and necessary and absolute lows yeah like there are depressive episodes in the lives of every major athlete that's ever uh-huh. lived so like if you think about this and then i'll let you get back to your story i'm sorry for cutting you off if you think about this like swimmers say well actually baseball play, baseball is a great example because it's a game of such concentration and preparation and high frequency you're always practicing or playing and you can and because it's not like as grueling as like a football or a hockey or wrestling or something like that you can do more like you can always go swing like swing you can go take bp a little bit more mm-hmm. i would think you probably don't want to overthrow yeah but there's always just like a little bit you can kind of always go so to take like that all-encompassing lifestyle away from someone there would almost assuredly be some sort of depressive episode it happens in swimmers like there there's you know there's all there's talk in the media probably necessarily so but with a twinge of hysteria about what's happening to football players post career mm-hmm. take away the brain stuff okay and just talk about the psychology of it being like a, a celebrity for a decade after a college career where you were probably also a celebrity at least on your campus you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden just take that away from you to suggest like, like of course you'd be depressed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially if over the course of that time you didn't learn a single skill that could transfer to the real life once you're all of a sudden in your 40s and 50s and, and what have you got? Um, but like swimming is a huge one. Swimmers who go twice a day, like almost all the time and probably since they were nine. It's crazy. And then like uh, we were just talking to someone the other day actually. Uh, he's now a power lifter. So it took a complete turn from swimming. Uh, but when it was gone and it ended sophomore year of college for him, so a lot earlier, he was just, he was depressed for years. Yeah. Couldn't figure it out because he was so caught up in that thing. And, and I think it's an important word to use. And I'm, again, I'm, I didn't want to like put it on you. But, no. But it's I, important. Like you can, 100%. you can help it if you acknowledge it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I, but I think a lot of people are afraid to admit that. Yeah, and I think I mean, you made such a good point that like we need to understand we are so much more than that. I think everyone, no matter what line of work you're in, you kind of attach a bit of your identity to your job. Mm-hmm. And in sports, that's very volatile. You right. Know? Because there's going to be things like injuries or in baseball, especially so much of the way that I converse with people who I grew up with, people in my community. Um, you know, it was about baseball, just naturally because yeah. they care about me and, and a lot of them are part of my career. So when you go such a long period of time delivering uh, bad news and bad mm. news, I think you start to attach yourself to it a little bit and that's interesting. it draws you away from those people who really care about you a lot and, and I think, you know, you don't want to disappoint them. So, uh, yeah, I think that was tough. Like, I, I went through that a lot, receiving text messages, people who want to support you, but you just, you're sick of uh, continuously explaining yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, totally. you, you just want to get healthy and, and move it. on. But yeah, I'm with it's you, not man. as easy as that, you know. It's, it's not as easy as that. And that's, I, we'll talk once we're, once we turn this thing off, but um, we've kind of got some plans for that, like how to structure psychological support throughout the course of a career, starting at a really early age. 
so uh-huh. that once the career is over, it's not like you're starting from zero, but there's like a toolkit at your disposal that you've been working on for years. Uh-huh. I think that's a really interesting thing. I, and I'll tell you, I identify with that completely. Like, just so you know, I feel bad now. If I ever asked you along the way how things were going, uh, I think there, it's, it's a weird thing because it's like, I, if I were to ask you about baseball, it's because I think you care about baseball. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, but, but it's weird. And, but, but that I'm, I'm trying to envision, I've never thought about it through that lens before. Um, and like you don't want to give bad news. I th- I don't know. If, I don't know if this will help you at all. But like, have, j- I can only speak for me. Maybe some people only want to hear about stats. I doubt it. Yeah. But like, if you said, uh, kind of tough right now. I don't really want to talk about it. Yeah. That would be that would be just as good a response. Be like, okay, well, what else is on? Yeah. But, you no, know, no, very true. Very true. It's, it's weird. It's like that back and forth. Wait, like you think. It's, it's, a, back and it's, it's, it's like you think, a, yeah, society like, thing. Almost. It is a society thing. Yeah. Like you think the person wants to hear about baseball. The person wants to hear about baseball because they think that's what's important to you. They really you know just I mean? want to talk to you. They just want to talk. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. But that's and I think that's part of what leads into the, the problem you're talking about in sports mm-hmm. is you know attaching yourself too much to your career, totally. attaching your worth, your self worth to your career. I think. And you mentioned career. The only truth of an athletic career, once you start it, is that it's going to end. Uh-huh. So, like, to, to not acknowledge that, you know what I mean? It, it's hard. It's like there's no other absolute in the whole thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're not definitely going to make an all-star team. You're not definitely going to make a team. Period. That's right. Like, it, it, once you start it, eventually it's going to be over. Mm-hmm. So, to not anticipate that, like, it, you know, to not have a, a, a plan for once this thing does, when, once the absolute outcome comes to pass like to not have a plan for that is is uh is a mistake i think so yeah and i can work on it it's a i mean it's a great topic you talk about too because something i i learned through the whole process is so many other guys have gone through the same exact thing i mean i'm sure in every sport football especially but baseball i mean pitcher is going through multiple arm surgeries i mean it's you start to understand that you're not alone Mm -hmm. Uh, that was Ingrid's thought, actually. Ingrid was a, an Olympian. I don't know if she made the Olympics in multiple sports. She definitely went for bobsled, but she's like a gymnast. She like She's exceptional and a really good human being. I like her a lot. Um, but that's kind of what she was talking about. Like Maybe there ought to be some, some visible resource because that's what it is. Everyone's putting up guard. It's like you're all looking out from behind your own individual fence. Yeah. You don't realize that... All, Behind all those fences, the same thing's going on, uh-huh. pretty much. So and it's you can learn. Yeah. Yeah, like I've found, I mean, that's why I say, like, when you were talking about the foot injury, you said, I'm sorry. It, it was kind of necessary because it taught me so much. And mm-hmm. I mean, I can't tell you, and, you know, everyone's gone through injuries. You try not to be the guy that's like overbearing, giving people advice. But I think a lot of people saw me struggle for a long time and, you know, when I was able to overcome it, there's definitely been situations that present themselves where people come to me as a resource, mm-hmm. and that's huge. I mean, yeah, that's what keeps us moving forward. You know, it, it keeps us moving forward, and it's the definition of leadership. So I don't know if you remember this. We say, uh, know the way, go the way, and show the way. That's like those are the pillars of leadership. You got to get it, you got to do it, and you got to pass it on essentially. Uh-huh. Um, so that's that's right, and that's yeah. an essential component to the athletic experience that you're now able to pass on to people. Mm-hmm. 
Charlie Tilson, leader by definition. <laughs> Tell me, okay, so quickly, I don't want to linger on your injury too much because you look great. I'm, I'm sure you could still beat Klein in a race at least. Uh, I'm just kidding. No, I'm taking it back. He's running a lot That's these true. days. He's running a lot. Um, but, like, okay, so the nutrition stuff, you said that when you got scans, that am I right to think this? That like it was kind of clearing up just through healthy. Yeah. Um, I miss, yeah. Did I, miss I had it, so yeah. Um, around my my fr- the fracture in my yeah. foot, which like a stress fracture is a very tiny fracture, yeah. but it shows that there's a lot of you know softening, weakening in the bone from inflammation, and and the foot in particular is a tough place to get a lot of blood supply. Right. So it could be hard to recover mm-hmm. these injuries and. Um, for me, you know, because of that, we we're obviously doing just about everything we can. I mean, I was using a bone stimulator. I had, I had taken uh, um, cortisone packs. Uh, nothing was, you know, extremely successful. Obviously, all the all the way doing rehab and mm-hmm. you know trying to strengthen anything, anything that'll help. Um, I think uh, so. Then I. Fast forward, meet Julie Burns, and, and transition into this, uh, um, you know, pretty much raw food diet with like a anti-inflammatory approach. So eliminating all allergenic foods as well. What other stuff did you cut out? Because some of this stuff was surprising to me. Uh, dairy, like gluten, tomatoes. Was that one? No tomatoes. No mm. white shade vegetables. Uh, very similar to the TB12 diet. I don't know if you've ever. I haven't read the book. Into that, but <laughs> Tom Brady's got his own. That's amazing. They, yeah. Is it called the TV12 diet? TV12 method, I think. That's funny. He calls it. But yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, our number one goal was I had so much trauma on my body at the time. You know, like we've said, multiple fractures. And I was still, the hamstring, like, was not in great shape at that right. point. And um, so I immediately lost, like, 20 pounds. And um, I, I had a uh, four weeks after I was put in the boot, which was right when I started this, I had a additional MRI and CT scan on my foot and you could visibly see um, the inflammation and the anema around the injury slowly starting to, you know, go away while the fracture still slightly remained, but my symptoms were getting a lot better. Uh, so at this point, you know, I'm telling him about the adjustments I'm making. I'm really optimistic. I'm not in much pain. Yeah. I'm about to get out of the boot. He's like skeptical that when I start running, more force is going to go through. It's, mm-hmm. It may happen again, but um, we're going to take a real slow approach into it, and we're going to see how it works. I'm going to stay on this this protocol, yeah. and um, we're going to roll with it. So um, what we did was using an Alter G treadmill. I had to go over to uh, Rush twice a week so I could run on this Alter G treadmill where you can control your body mm-hmm. weight. Yeah, yeah, I've seen those. Um, yeah, so we started at like uh, the first week, it was like only 30% of my body weight, and then the second week it was 40, and the third week it was 50, and this went on for like four weeks, and all the while I'm, you know, uh, doing some training, basically trying to get back into balance that was the number one goal so we did strength tests side to side all sorts of different positions and things were going really well I I was at the point where I was like uh, running you know totally unsupported and not Mm -hmm. in pain and uh, kind of uh, advocating for myself 
saying I don't I don't need an surgery I think I've figured it out I feel right. completely different you know um, and it wasn't just an injury in my foot like I you know obviously was not very mobile at the time um, right especially in my legs and hips uh, and as I was losing weight and not that I was big at the time like I how big do you get I was probably 190 pounds when it started and I got down to like 170 so oh wow what yeah, are you now I'm about like 185 now yeah. but it's been hard to gain it all back yeah. while maintaining yeah uh, a good diet a clean diet right? yeah but I would notice things like my hips like would you know I'd be doing exercises that I had done all this time and all of a sudden I'd feel like this big pop mm-hmm. and it was like my hip had just adjusted almost like it had an reached that range in years you yeah know what I'm saying? yeah it'd come back yeah yeah and when i was running like i started to feel different things in my gait i was getting sore in different places and it was almost like my joints were starting to move again and mm-hmm. it was like my body was waking up man like i know it sounds extreme but it was it was a night and day difference and the, the most eye-opening thing to me is i hadn't taken an advil hmm. i hadn't taken a single over-the-counter aside from just eating good food and yeah staying hydrated and it taught me a ton man i mean i thought at the time i'd never drink coffee again unfortunately i i got back on that good that train. Back on the coffee. <laughs> i'm but, all about coffee don't yeah, get me yeah, started we know you know <laughs> yeah. as awesome. i as i sit here eating enchiladas i tell you it changed my diet forever man so <laughs> actual question because like we want people to be able to take away from this like just how bad is like the plate in front of you pretty bad i mean is it pretty bad i think so i i would is it mostly the dairy part of the cheese or like what would you by choice more often than not try to avoid well i think like you can get your body accustomed to a lot of things Mm -hmm. and so i i'm not going to sit here and tell you i never eat gluten right but especially during that time period I'm referring to like mm-hmm. when I was extremely intense I think it would almost make me sick to to go two months without eating any of that and then eat a big plate of cheese and uh, you oh, bread really? I think I would I'd physically get sick because I think what you what you start to understand uh, what it opens your eyes to is that so much of what we consume is kind of altered by mm-hmm. society and it's yeah. not necessarily what we were meant to right but yeah, like i said we can we can we can make our body accustomed to a lot of things you get, yeah but it may not be as high functioning athletically of a body as that's right desire. and even i mean i think it helps clear your mind to eat healthy i think you know certain foods can definitely cause yes. fog in your mind you can definitely get brain fog from food yeah people I, people don't recognize this stuff like uh, I totally agree with you if you are I mean if you eat a full pack of cookies and, and you're laughing over there I've done that before come on it happens like if you just like if you just go off like you feel like garbage the next day. Yeah, hey, dude, I felt I felt hungover, not having drunk at a sip, but just from like ribs. You know, like I had enough ribs that the next day I feel you, you got feel the like meat sweats. Yeah, you feel like garbage. Uh, I'm not kidding. You know, so and, and it's it's funny. It's um, nutrition. I gotta say that's like the one of the final pieces to my puzzle that I really want to figure out for my like lifelong health and wellness. 
Um, it takes a lot of effort too. Yeah. And time. Yeah. You gotta be thoughtful. You gotta be disciplined. I, I feel like I'm ready for that. I, I have, I'll be honest, like I think I do fine. Uh-huh. Like I don't pay, I'm not like you. You look great. Oh, come on. <laughs> can, I don't know if you can see that over the podcast, but at least we have it on record. Uh, for, no, I, I'm just kidding. It's uh, the sweatshirt hides a lot. The uh, no, I mean I'm fine. Like my performance is fine. I'm like I can. Yeah, I you can feel like, great. Doing I can your compete. Daily. Yeah, and I can compete in a powerlifting competition and then go run a 5K. Yeah, and I feel fine. Uh-huh. Like those are like you know I, you get sore from those things, whatever. But I feel for fine. sure. But I'm ready. I, I'm approaching the point where I'm ready to take that next step. I bring all that up though because things like nutrition. They're just not as recognizable. Maybe you guys have seen the, um, the the high order performance framework that I that we've been working on for a while. Um, the bedrock components to high order performance. And again, the assumption is not like you don't have to achieve your best. You don't have to. That you certainly don't. But if you want to, the bedrock components are eat, move, sleep. And if you are not the, the most poignant one or the most easily recognizable is the sleep thing. If you go one night without sleep, you feel terrible the next day uh-huh. you can go a day with with not great nutrition and you'll be fine and you don't recognize it and like you said you your body you can build a tolerance to these things that's like it's just you don't recognize you are not optimizing your potential yeah but you're also not like you're like not you, you, you don't recognize it. it's not like pulling an all-nighter yeah. um another quick tangent i'm sorry i have to bring it up before i forget it you mentioned the gluten thing i've heard you know, you if you go on social media for a second, some people are completely anti-gluten. Some people are like, this new gluten-free thing is, is completely invented. I think it's somewhere in between. And what I think is, we do have allergies on a spectrum. All of us are allergic to some degree, I would suggest. Some people, celiac disease, you know, there's a far end to that spectrum. If we all have natural allergies in the sense that the ingestion of some of these things are making us inflamed, if only slightly, I think what happens more often than not is people recognize that as part of the anti-gluten trend, go away from it for a while, try to cut it, reintroduce it on say like a Friday night eating a bunch of pizza, feel like absolute garbage the next day, and they're like, oh, I'm allergic to gluten. Does uh-huh. that make sense? Yeah. Because you pulled the threshold way down, mm-hmm. jumped it by a mile, had this massive interact, like negative yeah. interaction response to it. Um, and then you now you put yourself in the category of, of now I've got to be gluten free because I've whatever because I'm yeah. like this. Anyway, that's no, my that's theory. that's actually an interesting point. I uh, my the guy I train with totally gluten free now, mm-hmm. um, and he talks about that. I know he he had a friend in life who went through a, a similar thing, but he talks about now if he goes out and like has a beer, mm-hmm. it's like. It's a hangover times 10, For sure. just given the fact that he's consuming something that he's trained himself right. to stay away from. That's so right. Long. It reminds me of, have you ever seen The Princess Bride? You uh, seen that movie? Remember that from back in, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yes. With the pirate, Wesley, isn't it? Don't act like you don't know this, Clinton. Princess Bride? I, yeah, I have It's like the ultimate, it. okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> It's been, it's okay. been a while? It's been a while. Well, there's a scene, there's like a fairly famous scene where they ingest poison. Remember that? It's like one of the mm-hmm. hurdles that this pirate has to jump to go get his girl. And yeah. um, the guy is, he's like over time made himself immune to this poison. Okay. I'm recognizing now that perhaps that's not the best example. I'll give you, <laughs> I'll listen to this though. My sister was in intensive care once. She had a staph infection. It got into her heart. 
and oh, wow. she almost died. And there's no other way to say that. Like there were times when the nurses were in tears when she was in intensive care, and like it was a big freaking deal in my life that I won't. We'll save it for another podcast. But she's so I'm so I could not be more grateful that she's here. Um, and, but anyway, during that time, she was allergic to penicillin. Still is. So there's this thing that they think they could give her, but they can't because it'll trigger this reaction. So what they did was they gave her uh, some cousin of penicillin, a similar enough um, medicine in a, in a really tiny dose, like like microscopic dose, just and then and then monitor her like like hawks, like to find like watching vitals, and it, and they essentially tr- slowly built the threshold. So she had one drop, then she had two drops, and then progressing over time until they were getting to a more regular dose. So I, it's just it's the human body is that's amazing, an incredible dude. thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I want to know about your high school friends. Okay, because I know some. Yeah. Were they have they been with you through this time? Like what is what does that look like? I wanna know about that that relationship. Um, definitely. Uh yeah, definitely. You, I still, think, uh, you guys still seem pretty close. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they've they've definitely been there for me. I think uh yeah, there's some very few people in your life I think that you can, you know, have extremely open dialogue even in some of your you know worst moments and Mm -hmm. can express uh, your fears at those moments and I was definitely able to reach out to them I mean uh, I had two buddies from high school come out drive like eight hours from New Orleans to Atlanta to see my last triple-a game of the season because they never got to see me play in the big leagues this past year which I think is like you know that just goes to show it's not the event they're chasing necessarily it's it's uh you know about supporting your boys it's and, you yeah yeah so for sure i think that's i mean you know i couldn't couldn't have done it without without the support of my friends my coaches you know mm-hmm. uh and i think that most athletes recognize that especially when they go through uh you know difficult points like that they, they recognize uh how, how much they rely on you know they say it takes a village yeah. I think it's true, man. Yeah. Sometimes you have to zoom out and, and realize all the steps you took along the way and um, how important some of the influences that you had, you know. Yeah. I think back, like, a coach I, I think think about a lot because he was, like, I mean, he was the first coach who I was, like, afraid of, you know. Um, Charlie Roth, new cheer feeder. You may, you may know him. He may have been a little older than you. Yeah. He was a Nutria basketball player. He coached us uh, in sixth grade, and he was just like, I, I've never had a coach preach toughness so much in my life, man. Like, we are going to be the best conditioned team. We are going to be the toughest defensive team. And it wasn't that, like, our players expressed that identity. That was just the culture mm-hmm. that he preached. And it was the first time, like, I've – I've gone to basketball practice like worried about how much I ate before, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, it teaches you commitment and preparation to to huh. the team, you know. Totally. Um, but yeah, little things like that where you think back on, you know, I'm a baseball player and, and I'm talking about a basketball coach that had a positive effect on me. So it, it's all over the board, man. Yeah, that's fair. I like that idea. We we um, you know some of the sort of taglines of the Good Athlete Project, but but it, it is so clear to me that like 
coaches are educators. And it doesn't matter if it's baseball or basketball or football or whatever it is, but like you've got a platform and you've got a platform where people are actually, they, they care, they pay attention. More often than not, they want to be there. Whether they want to be there, whether they're not like giddy with excitement, like you said, they might be slightly nervous with anticipation, but like they want to be there, they take it seriously. That the, I, I've, I take, you know this, I take school really seriously. I keep going back. I keep like going back to school, but I've never shown up for a class like that. Yeah. But I've done that countless times in sports. Uh-huh. So like what, what you could do with that potential. It's cool to hear that you're kind of zooming back and recognizing that because like those subtle inpo- inputs, like all those touch points over the course of a career, like that, that is a, it, it's a psychological village. You're yeah. like, you're being subtly molded, obviously bringing your own, bringing you to the yeah, yeah, yeah. thing out as well. well you, but, you pull things that you like, you mm-hmm. know? All right. Are you ready for this? The lightning what was your first job? Um, my first job was as a coach, uh, coaching kids, giving lessons, um, especially in the summertime. A lot of kids in the community. Definitely awesome experience. I like it. Cool. What would you be doing right now if you weren't playing baseball? That's a really good question. I know I would be coaching in some format. I really, I mean, I think every day about what I want to do after baseball, and uh, I'm thankful that we got people like Jim helping provide guidance for that. But come on, there you go. <laughs> no, that was truthfully, not <laughs> truthfully, it's it's yeah, something I'll have to face, and I'm interested in a lot of things. I definitely want to go back to school, um, but yeah, I have to do some soul searching, figure it out. Could you? I don't mean to steal the lightning round, but could you see yourself going back to school? 100 percent. Yeah, I I mean no doubt, especially. Well, the way it works with Major League Baseball for most guys who sign out of high school, if you go to school full-time after your career is over mm-hmm. and without any break, uh, they'll pay for it. That's it, yeah. Um, yeah, and obviously there's a certain allowance, uh, but, I mean, it covers most of it. And, and with being able to go to school online, like, I've been thinking about it a lot. There's so many different things. You could be traveling, working, and mm-hmm. taking classes all at the same time, so... We'll see where life takes me, but I definitely think it'd be crazy not to take advantage of that opportunity. I totally agree. I think you need to go back to college. I'll go get. I'll go try to get my PhD. You go. We'll go <laughs> hang out. We'll start a good athlete project yeah. chapter in some cool university. Where do you want to go? Anywhere. Right man. off the bat, if you could pick anywhere right now. I think maybe we might have to find somewhere I could play football at. You know what I mean? Oh, you have Continue. eligibility. Still. I still have eligibility. Okay, we got any talk sport about other than I can baseball. make a logo. Not you, and this guy that. can make. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> Klein can make a logo. He can nail it. Knox right. College. They might be looking for a return, man. We talked about this. I'm going to talk. Okay, so if you can hear me out there, uh, Damon Tomeo, Andy Gibbons, uh, Daniela Earl, anyone, any of the good people down at Knox, we, he, we're going to negotiate the terms. He's going to return kicks and punts only. Okay? Um, and if he feels like wearing eye black, it doesn't matter what NCAA rules are, he's going to go for it. So those are the terms. We'll see what we got. Go ahead. Sorry, What coach. daily habits make you successful? That's a good question. Routine. Um, I mean, I guess my routine is different depending whether it's off-season or in-season, but it's always consistent. Um, I like I, – I read a book that really, you know, changed my approach a little bit called Flow, mm-hmm. and it, it talked about, you know, trying to get it in a flow state, and I find that in my morning activities, whether it's like, you know, making coffee in the morning – um, doing a pour over, or 
you know, my my routine before my lifts. Like I I don't want to be on a clock. I want to be early enough where I have enough time to really get in the moment and do what it takes that day to get the job done. So I think my routine it would be like uh, you know, my my daily thing. Yeah. But um Yeah. Where did you get the book flow? I got it from uh my sister's boyfriend, who manages a resort with her overseas nice. in Indonesia, and he on the side is a magician, and like a very successful magician. Actually, yeah, uh, he gets gets flown around by you know very successful people all over the world to like perform at party. parties. That's and, amazing. And uh, he says that the key to magic is focus, meditation, mm -hmm. and getting in a, a flow state where you're trusting your instincts and and trusting you know wow that is interesting i'm <laughs> glad i asked that yeah right and you want to know why i actually asked it it wasn't to, i thought i gave it to you and that's uh that's right that's my that's right that's right because i think we talked about it you may have given it to, yeah you may have you know what he he actually physically handed it to me though did i, think did I send, send it me to the you link. <laughs> a different state <laughs> Well, I'm not a famous magician, Charlie. What do you expect? Yeah. I'm not made of books. Well, you know, I I haven't done a lot of reading in my time. That's fair. So okay. Sometimes Fine. I need it handed to me. Fine. That's fair. That's but, fair. No, great book. I mean, for anyone listening, it really it helped me out a ton. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, crazy self-help. It's very scientific mm -hmm. and fact-based. Oh, yeah. It's all based in, like, legitimate scientific study. Like yeah. Social science. It's like, yeah, it's brilliant. I should read. You should read it. Dude, yeah. you'd love it. I bet you would. Flow. All right. Um, advice from a current leader like yourself to a future leader. Ooh. Um, ask questions. Um, I think that's something I didn't do enough of early on in my career. Not that I felt like I didn't have the answers, but, I, you know, maybe just intimidated by the surroundings or the situation. I think um, people open up to you so much when you, when you ask a thoughtful question. And, uh, you know, you can you can gather so much information whether it's from your peers or you know you, you'll find I've learned so many so many things in the oddest places but it doesn't happen unless you develop a dialogue so um, I always strive to kind of put myself out there it's challenging for me but it goes a long way mm, that's good that's really good uh, favorite all-time baseball player ooh Ken Griffey Jr. I think I yeah I mean, it's tough man I mean I loved cheering on the White Sox in 2005 when they won the World Series. Mm -hmm. I have so many favorite players from that team, but if I could think of like one guy that changed my childhood, it's Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. So we talked about your dietary habits. What is your favorite food, your favorite like meal, go-to meal? <sighs> um, I love a good meatball. Nice. Like bison meatballs. I mean, you could bison have many meatballs. Way, lamb hmm. meatballs, turkey meatballs. I have a pressure awesome. cooker that I've been using like crazy lately, and that's been my my, my number one thing to. I was not expecting with. that. That's no. the first I've heard that. I like it. <laughs> Bison meatballs. <laughs> I gotta try that. Uh, go to pump up song. Ooh, uh, can't stop. You like sure. that one? Yeah, it's good. That's a good one. Best or funniest Coach Davis story or memory from that. when you coached? What? Yeah, I was. I never excelled a ton in the weight room in high school. I Nonsense. Think. No, no, no. I'm, I'm about to get to it, man. I'm joking. This early on, I think like the first day I squatted, I was so sore the next day. Like, 
I, I mean, you know, you know that first time you squat, it's like a, it's, and I was a big speed guy and I was a little turned off, you know, by, by the weightlifting at first and, uh, coach Davis won me over with the hang clean. Yeah. I, I found I found a lift that, that I could truly excel at and it changed. I mean, once I, I was having success and, and embracing the kind of the competition of it, not like it was unhealthy competition, I think, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, it it really changed my my approach in the weight room. All of a sudden, I, I wanted to be able to, you know, be one of the highest, mm-hmm. you know, squatting guys on the team. And, and what were the the good squat, bench, and hang clean? Those were the ones that those could get you in the thousand pound. Club. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So I think just creating that competitive environment, and you know, finding whether it be a lift or a drill or something where each person is able to have success and then promoting that to them. I mm-hmm. think that's what uh, our our boy Jim Davis does such a great job of and I think that's why so many of his players have a unique relationship with him. Hmm. Well, it's go. embarrassing to be talked about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're fine. <laughs> Charlie, um, you have an open-ended invitation to come back if anything comes up that you want to talk about. Uh, and share it's um, and I mean that very sincerely um, I'm really excited for you to be here because and here's why and this there's no fluff to this okay I think I there's something about you that is unique and important and very real and very human and it goes well beyond baseball and I don't know how this is all gonna play out but I really do believe that somehow you will continue on the path that you're on which is using baseball to get important things into the world that go, that, that just transcend sport, using sport to transcend sport. So I'm not, that's not nonsense. It's not because I know you. I just think it's an interesting insight that I don't have into everyone that we have on the podcast. So thank you. And that's re- a podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Of course. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.